You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by Emprise Bank. Coming up, the latest episode of 21 Questions. Welcome back to 21 Questions. This is your weekly podcast where you guys ask us questions, we answer them, and I am joined this week by the one, the only facts by the foot, the foot noted man himself, Jordy. How are you doing, pal? I'm good, buddy. It's been a minute since I've jumped on here. I think the last one was with Kent, so you know the bar can only be so high for that, but um, I'm excited to jump on with you and answer some questions, man. Straight from the Discord, super fun stuff. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, Jordy said it there. All these questions come from the KCSN Discord. If you subscribe to the kcsn.substack.com, you can ask questions. You will get invited to the Discord. You can put your questions in there. You know, if if you're not subscribed, but you were listening, we do still appreciate it. You guys can try to push questions to us in any way that you can communicate with us. If we do see them for a week, we can try to pull them on there, but the majority of these are going to come from the Discord. That is just something we like to do for you know people that have joined the Substack, provide this to them. So we're, we're kind of going to get this kicked off pretty early from uh, what's up with our wide receivers doc. I, I like this name. I like the adjustment to this name in the Discord. After a very small sample size, how do you feel about Wanya Morris as the left tackle of the future? pretty much the same as I did before. Like, he looks good outside of one rep. He he did do an admirable job in his, like, five snaps or whatever, relieving Donovan Smith. Like, I like you said on the lab, I think on Monday, it would have been ideal to see more from him, or maybe it was yeah. the post-game show. Like, get a bigger sample to, to draw from. I think that if the Chiefs can afford to have a cheap left tackle plan again next year, and that plan is their third-round pick from 2022, then that's great, but... I don't really have any new thoughts about Wanya Morris yet. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. Um, he looked good in the run game, right? He was creating movement. He was latched on the guys. He put a couple guys in the ground. So, hey, you say NFL power, check. If, if you know, we didn't really have that question, but that's knocked off the list. We only got two pass rush rep, uh, two pass pro reps. One, he was just, I, I I tried to give him the benefit of the doubt and say he was holding the B gap and dragging his arm and that made him late. No, he was just laid off the ball. And he was just laid off the ball and couldn't recover. So that's that's not ideal. And I think if you parlay that back into the preseason with some of his kick slides and just some of the movement we saw at left tackle compared to his tape at right tackle, I still have some level of concern that he's just not super comfortable on the left side. But he was thrown in. It's essentially I'm making that judgment based on one play and then rookie preseason play. So I'm not writing him off as the left tackle. But I also want to say, okay, I, I got a mark to my head now. He still doesn't look like the same athlete playing on the left side that he does the right. We'll just have to trust the coaches. Get that figured out in the offseason. I, I would have really liked to see him play more, though. I think that would have shown us a lot. And I, I'm a little sad we didn't get it. Yeah. Yeah. And people forget that, like, he wasn't necessarily drafted as a pure left tackle. So that also right. factors into, like, you're, you're really playing with fire. But again, it could have been worse, which I guess in and of itself is kind of a good thing, I suppose. Could have been Lucas Nyang. And so on to <laughs> Keith McLean. Are you guys finally in on Sticky Rice? Um, we're just going to use Sticky Rice as a nickname. We're not going to talk about the actual player right now because we have more questions, obviously, if coming about Rishi Rice given his performance. But what do you feel about the name, the nickname Sticky Rice for Rishi? 
I think it's fine. It's kind of ironic because, like, the hands aren't always that sticky. And I think it was Craig that said they're strong. Like, you can see it that he has the ability to do it. But it's also been something that's been kind of a question mark with him in recent months and even recent years in college. So um, I I don't know if there's really an alternative to sticky rice. Like, all rice seems to be fairly sticky. But it could be worse. It could be something else. How about, like, what about instant rice? Because, you know, he's explosive. He's like that. That fits the player a little bit better. That. I agree. Sticky Rice is probably a more fun name, nickname than than Instant Rice, but I don't know. I like it. It's a fun nickname, but it's kind of like tongue in cheek because of the drop issues, right? Like that's mm-hmm. where if he clears up, like it, it can go one of two ways. If he continues to drop the ball a bunch, you can say Sticky Rice anytime he does catch it and it works. Or if he becomes Chris Carter and he never drops a football, <laughs> you can stay Sticky Rice because he never drops the ball. But if it's anything in between, I don't know. It leaves a little bit to be desired, and it seems more of a joke to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Christian Gumminger, he's got a couple in here. This is the first one. How come nobody, and I mean nobody, has figured out the Kyle Shanahan offense? A third of the league, uh, roughly, runs it at this point in time, and they all seem to be top offenses. Why is it so complex? Why can't defenses stop it? Um, I'll start with this a little bit. It's because they haven't won. Go back and look at Sean McVay's offense. Guess what happens when they like got to a Super Bowl and then got slowed down? Guess what happened the year after? Guess what happened when the McVay offense won? Now, I know injuries to Stafford's elbow, guys leaving matter, but if you look at once teams win, that's when everybody spends the entire offseason trying to fix it. Kyle Shanahan hasn't won. So while McVay and his offense are kind of similar, there are differences, people have focused on stopping the Mahomes and Andy Reid offense. They have focused on stopping the Sean McVay offense they haven't really had to try to focus on stopping the Kyle Shanahan offense because they haven't won. It hasn't been the number one issue stopping you from winning a Super Bowl up to this point. So I just think, quite frankly, it's just it's priorities right now. Um, but I do think there's something to, yeah, a bunch of teams run it, so we will probably continue to see teams get a little bit better at it. But until somebody wins with that heavy play action rollout stuff, like what what is the... What's the benefit to learning how to stop that but not stop the Eagles or not spending all summer to stop the Chiefs or to stop the you know the Rams with McVay? Like what what's the benefit to stopping that particular set of offense if they're not actually winning the Super Bowl? Yeah, no, hundred percent. And like they're not doing a ton of things that people haven't seen before. Like, oh my God, there's twenty one personnel. Oh my God, there's a crosser. Oh my God, we have really athletic and fun offensive linemen. Oh my God, play action. Like Yes, it's innovative. Yes, they're incredibly smart. Yes, they're great coaches, but that's also part of it. They're really good at what they do, and they have elite talent usually um, out there that when you have the embarrassment of riches that McVeigh's had at times or Shani has had at times, like those offenses are going to do well, but also, like you said, they aren't the single focal point of every year, and it's just kind of a cycle. So it's hard to stop an NFL offense in general um, if you have any remnants of a good quarterback, good coach, good talent. So um, I wouldn't say that like it's super, super complex and unsolvable, but the focus, like you said, just hasn't really been there yet. And I also think, too, when you – the Play Callers Club, the uh, it was on The Athletic. I believe it was The Athletic, right? Did the yeah. Play Callers Club. They did that podcast series over the summer. If you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. But all those guys, and that was just the top guys, they're all a little different. You know, LeFleur has a slightly different flavor to it than McVay does, who's a little different from Shanahan, who's definitely different from Mike McDaniel. So, like, everybody adds their own twist. So you can sit here and say, okay, I'm going to go in and stop the, the Kyle Shanahan offense. But when you go play the Dolphins, I don't know how much of that directly correlates, right? Like, I don't know if there's a direct correlation 
to stopping the downhill, you know, heavy running game of the 49ers to the fast out motions and the speed of the Dolphins that then carries over to McVay living in just 11 personnel all the time and now running duo nonstop. Like, I don't know if there's a carryover between all these guys. They try to get to the same point. They try to stress the same stuff. They just do it differently. So if one of those teams wins the Super Bowl, I bet next year you see a lot of teams be better at it. But I also think that the branches of this tree have gone out pretty far from from just what Kyle does. And I think that matters. Mm-hmm. 100%. Okay, uh, here's a fantasy football question. Um, I'm, I'm a little off on this one, but okay. It's from Matt K. Was um, Nick Sack- Nick Johnston's decision to start Dalton Schultz over Sam Laporta this week in the guillotine, KCS and guillotine league, the worst decision of the year or the worst decision in guillotine league history? I'm assuming, I haven't looked at stats, I'm assuming that Laporta um, had a good week and that Dalton Schultz did it. And I'm also assuming it probably cost somebody a uh, spot in the guillotine league. So like, how do you feel about this decision? I think it's a, a heinous decision. I, Sam Laporta, like... This is a guy that I think it was on New Heights months and months ago. Travis Kelsey like singled out. It was like the Sam Laporta guy. He's a dude. Like I, I really like him, and he's producing and he's had a good season so far. Dalton Schultz, fine player, nothing wrong with him. But um, I personally wouldn't have had that conflict. I don't think I would have just went with Laporta. I don't have the the numbers in front of me, but it seemed like a, a cut and dry decision. I like Nick a lot, but um, this is one not gold star for for Mister Nick Johnston. So see, I don't, I don't know a lot um, about like what the decision process was here, right? Mm-hmm. This hasn't been defended. Um, it's not like Laporta had a great game. He had under fifty yards, did get a touchdown, right? But I mean, the, the Lions' offense looked very sluggish and pretty bad versus the Packers. His last, I'm looking it up right now. His cat past couple games had been very, you know, relatively poor. Forty yards, eighteen yards. Like it seemed like the Lions' offense maybe was in a little bit of a rut. Maybe mm-hmm. Nick Johnson was playing on that and decided to go with Dalton Schultz. The, the problem is the Jags have had a good defense this year. Um, I, Dalton Schultz is on a little bit of a run here, I guess. You know, he'd either scored a touchdown or gone over 70 yards in his three, two last three games before this. So, like, I get maybe it was a riding of the hot hand, but Laporta's been really good this year. So, I I don't know. This got me in trouble playing fantasy. I, I would try to do a big brain X and O's matchup yep. decisions, and it never worked out. It was always just, no, listen to whatever the ranking or projection points say, and, like, my brain didn't work that way, so I just got annoyed trying to think I was smarter than uh, the fantasy football uh, computers. And this is one of those situations where it looks like it bought bit Vic Johnston that way. The nerds won for once, or I guess they didn't. I don't know. They rarely win sometimes. All right, moving on to, to Arrow here. Way too early prediction for next year's Chiefs wide receiver room. Ooh, buddy. I think they already have four of the players in the fold oh okay i think rasheed rice sneaking in my head yeah yeah yeah. i'm trying to think if i can guess the four that you're gonna go with i I think we can oh okay yeah i guess okay continue the the last one like not nearly as as certain but i think justin watson has a spot on next year's team and like it's i think so the one that we're coming down to is sky Moore. i bet right or Tony. Yes. I don't think and they move Tony. on from either one of them. I think they keep both just because they invested and they think that they have some sort of role. Now, can they reduce that role? Absolutely. Is there some redundancy with potential guys you bring in? Yes. But I think they have Rasheed Rice, Tony, Moore, Watson, maybe Justin Ross. I don't know what the final outcome is going to be there, but I also don't think he's good enough to where you can like 
sacrifice the roster spot for a better player, if that makes sense. But I think they already have yeah. four that are there. Yeah, and I mean, and there's no way to really move on from uh, Kadarius Tony or Sky Moore where like you're just essentially eating the contract and just saying, ah, this stinks, right? Um, yeah. So I get it. I, for me, I, I think Sky Moore stays for sure. Um, well, I think that back. I think either one of those guys could probably be gone, but it would have to be a trade. It would have to be some yeah. kind of late-round pick kind of trade thing in just terms of this isn't working, we have to make the move, but I'm going to have a really hard time predicting a wide receiver trade for a guy on a rookie contract given the Chiefs' desperation at the position or what it looks like. That said, if Kadarius Tony wants to go clapping around on Giants fans on Twitter all offseason <laughs> again, listen, there's a reason that got cut out all of a sudden. There's a reason it went from 100 to 0 and we haven't seen a word. There was a combo there. And if that starts happening again, if that conversation has to be had again, I wouldn't put it past uh, Kadarius Tony not to be on the Chiefs just because they can't trust him. But I, I guess I'm with you. I, I don't see a way those four guys shouldn't be predicted to be part of this wide receiver room. I'm going to throw in there, they signed Darnell Mooney in free agency. A little bit of familiarity with Matt Nagy. I think he provides a little bit of what they're missing. He kind of does the MVS role, a different body type, but he's a vertical yep. guy, a little bit more speed, and then a round one wide receiver. If I were to predict that's who they're coming in with, that's your six. You got Justin Ross, you got Nico Remigio competing to be a seventh guy again, competing for a special team slot, competing to knock off a Tony or a Sky Moore, make them expendable. But like, I think that's kind of what I'm looking at going into next year. Um, but I, I don't know. It's it's an interesting room. Um, and I think even if you look at those four guys coming back, you still don't have a deep threat among those guys. And you still don't have a guy that you would consider like a separator. You still don't have a guy that you consider like beating man-to-man coverage. Like, while I agree with you, those four guys are here, they're they're missing key parts of a wide receiver yeah. room, and they already have four roster spots locked up at that point. Yeah, and that's the problem. Like, you have room to add, but you only have room to add either someone at the very end or someone at the top. You, If you add a guy that's in the middle, what are you really doing, right? You need a difference maker, and I think they do get one. I just don't know if they yeah. get two plus. They have youth. They have... Watson, like Watson's a fine player. And if his roles reduce, he's going to be an even more fine player. But yeah. if you run this back with the roles they have and spew the developmental nonsense Ooh. for these specific players, it's it's going to be really bad. I don't think they do that, though. Ooh, can I hit you with another wide receiver uh, depth chart room? This is a room. Okay. This is just room. Let's hear it. Todd Pinkston's the wide receiver coach next year. That's that's my prediction, is that Todd Pinkston is the wide receiver coach. Um I think Connor Embry definitely stays on staff. He just sure. whether it's whether it's to the running backs, whether it's a different position, whether it's back to, you know, past game analysts, I believe what he was last year. Like he'll stay on staff because he's been here. He has helped this team in various ways. Um, even though I do think the direct wide receiver coach thing has maybe not gone the route that we would all have hoped. Todd Pinkston got hired and they slapped him in as a running backs coach. And while I don't know if that's bad necessarily, I can also say I don't know if the running backs have taken a step from last year. So I don't think Todd Pinks is doing a great job as a running backs coach, but here's a guy that played in the NFL under Andy Reid as a wide receiver. All he did play in college as a wide receiver, all he's coached in the you know college NFL as a assistant so far has been wide receivers until this year. It just makes sense. I wonder if they didn't give Embry a wide receiver coach job before they got you know hired Todd Pinkston. I just wonder if there was like a okay, here's our coach shuffle. The enemy's gone. Here's the shuffle. This is what we have. And it's like, okay, we want to get Todd on our staff. Here's the opening spot that we now have because we kind of already worked everything else out. 
I think he's the leader of that wide receiver room next year, though. I I would be a little surprised if he's not. It's just where, where my gut was what my gut tells me. The the funny thing is like when they announced the coaching staff back in whenever it was, everyone was like, oh, haha, they'll be fine. They're just assistant coaches. And now like we're we're in week 12, week 13. Everyone's like, uh, maybe they made some sort of difference or mistake. And like it was just the the specialties of some of those people didn't line up with the role. And you're like, okay, it's still Andy Reid, it's still Matt Nagy, but those guys do make some sort of difference. Yeah, and, and these are the guys that have the most contact with your yeah. players, right? Andy Reid's not sitting there going through wide receiver drills. Matt Nagy's not sitting there going through the running back drills, right? Like yeah. these, coach, these position coaches are the guys that are running these drills that are giving them like the direct stuff. Andy Reid, Matt Nagy, these guys are handling the Mac or the scheme. They're handling this is what we're doing here. This is the structure and all that stuff. The coaches are the ones giving them, you know, one, I think they kind of set the not entirely, but they kind of control a little bit more of who's on the field, who's out. So like snap count stuff is a little sure. bit from what I've gathered is more positional coach. And then they are the guys handling the details. The guys probably talking about, this is what you're looking for to make this adjustment. These are things that have been lacking this year. And while I'm not one to throw it all on a coach, I think the talent that the, the coach is working with is not up to par right yeah. now. I do think that there is some blame they could go there. And I think having somebody that has more experience, uh, would be pretty beneficial. Um, so that's where we are. That's that's a lot about the wide receiver room. So um, let, let's let us catch our breath here. Uh, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back with some more questions from you guys. What's up, Chiefs Kingdom? This is Tucker Franklin from KC Sports Network. Thank you for listening to today's show. Make sure to follow us and subscribe for more Chiefs content wherever you get your podcast. If you want to support us further, you can shop the latest collection of KC Sports Network merch in partnership with Sandlot Goods. You can find hats, shirts, hoodies, and more at sandlotgoods.com. You can click the link in the description for more information. Hey everyone, this is BJ Kissel. We'll get right back to the show. I just need a minute to share some important news, but as always, thank you for the support. The KCSN Foundation just launched our third annual Soul of KC Holiday Raffle and Toy Drive, and it benefits Operation Breakthrough's Christmas Store. This campaign has raised more than $35,000 over the past two years, helping provide a better Christmas for kids in our community. And it's simple. We sell raffle tickets for a chance to win any of the more than 20 fantastic prizes that we have available this year. It's things like a Travis Kelsey autographed full-size Chiefs helmet, or a Chris Jones autographed jersey, a George Karloftis jersey. How about a Patrick Mahomes autographed mini helmet? We've got gift cards to local restaurants like Capitol Grill, Mission Taco Joint, or Third Street Social. You can find the full list of prizes on our social media accounts, or you can click the link in the description of this show. Again, all of the proceeds go to buying presents for Operation Breakthrough's Christmas store, and you can get tickets now through December 4th. Help us continue to help others, because that's what the KCSN Foundation is all about. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. The holiday season can be a time of joy, but also extra added stress. Whether from travel, dealing with family, or financial stress, the holiday season can bring extra burden onto your life. Sometimes just having someone to talk to can help remove some of those feelings that you may have over the course of the holiday season. Therapy can be an opportunity for you to talk through some of those feelings, have a chance to make you feel extra grounded, or keep you level-headed. It can help you respond positively to situations, it can help you set boundaries, and it can help you take some weight off your chest. 
If you feel extra stressed this holiday season and are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Find your bright spot this holiday season with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com KCSN today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot KCSN. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back. We are in the middle, kind of, of 21 questions here where Jordy and I are answering all of your questions very slowly, very uh, methodically <laughs> as we work our way through here. Um, from Ziandera, what would you ask the Panthers for in a trade for Andy Reid? Um, okay. How many actual players in the Chiefs would you ask for more? Okay. So if you were to rank the Chiefs assets, where would Andy Reid fall among them in terms of a trade, number one? And then number two, what would you have to take to trade away Andy Reid to the Carolina Panthers? So Sean Payton went for, if I'm not mistaken, number 29 overall and then the following year's second round pick. So I think Andy Reid, you're looking at back-to-back first round pick. Payton was out of the league. So then at the least you're looking at Reid back-to-back first-round picks. And I think if you're ranking the Chiefs' assets, Patrick Mahomes, and that's it. Maybe Travis Kelsey, but with how we've seen Travis Kelsey this year and his age, I don't know if he's worth... It's those three. It's the three pillars of the Chiefs, and Andy Reid is probably number two. I don't think Chris Jones is worth it, even on necessarily a new deal. Legere Sneed isn't worth it. Trent McDuffie. There's the one. That's the only one I wanted to slide in there. Yeah. Uh, what Jalen Ramsey went for two was he two ones his first I trade to the Rams? I think so. Yeah. And Minka Fitzpatrick went for was it was he two ones or was he just an early one? I, I can't think remember. It was just but like an early one. You you had so, you have some CBs out there that I think were better than Trent McDuffie was when they were traded, right? Like you have some DBs out there that were better than Trent McDuffie when traded, but you could tell me still on his rookie contract, still potentially improving that if a team wanted to consider Trent McDuffie a slightly higher um, priority than Andy Reid, given Andy's age too. Like, you know, sure. what what is your guarantee that Andy is going to want to come back and coach for 10 more years if you go and trade for him? So like, I could see Trent McDuffie being in the mix, but that's it. It's Mahomes, maybe Trent McDuffie, and then Andy Reid. I don't think Kelsey at his age and just potentially the way he looks athletically this year, mm-hmm. Chris Jones, I George Karloftis has been fun, but like he's not that guy. Um, so yeah, Andy's probably the second or third at worst best asset 
that this team would have to trade. And yeah, it it would have to at least be a, a, a one first round pick, if not more. Sean Payton went for more, so it'd be kind of crazy that Andy Reid went for less if that were yeah. if that were the case. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, another one from Christian here. Uh, not saying that the current AFC playoff field is a cakewalk, but would this be a potential the potentially easiest path to the Super Bowl compared to the other three trips? I want your take on this first. I think the NFL is in a weird spot this year. Um, I think defenses are better than offenses for the first time since this this version of the Chiefs has been going. And so when we look at these other years past, we're like, oh, wow, we had to overcome this offense. We had to outscore this offense. We had to outscore this, that, you know, it was always about outscoring other offenses. Whereas this year, it's more about can you score enough points against these good defenses to win? And so I think that makes it a little trickier. It's a different challenge. Um, so I, I don't know. The, the, the offensive firepower in the AFC playoff picture is yeah. certainly going to be worse than what it has been during the other Chiefs runs, but it feels like the defenses they're going to have to overcome might be a little better. I, I will say this. Houston Texans, Tennessee Titans, and then the 49ers I, with Jimmy G, That that's pretty easy. Yeah. That's, I, that's pretty easy. I think, so let's just, for example, sake, Baltimore and Miami. That's tougher than Houston, Tennessee. That I think is tougher than yeah. definitely Cleveland. Buffalo was really, really, really. I think they might have been the best team in the NFL that year. Didn't even win the game out of the divisional round. The path for the Chiefs might not be scary opponent wise, but given the team itself this year and given the defenses, like you said, the path is still going to be difficult. So, like the outcome, the probability, whatever you want to look at, that's still pretty tough. The opponents themselves. I don't think they're too scary. It's a good year to like have flaws because pretty much every team does. Yeah. And, and like, the, there's no, who's the big hurdle in the AFC? Like in, in the past, it's been the bills, right? And like, not the yeah. bills have ever like won it, but that's still, you can look to that matchup and say, that's too, you know, Goliath going at it. What's that this year? Even the past couple of years, the Bengals have been there. The sure. Bengals have been that. <laughs> Who is it this year? Oh, yeah, that, that Ravens team without Mark Andrews sure scares me. Not and really. with playoff Lamar Jackson. Oh, my God, he's really good. Right. Like the Miami Dolphins led by Tua, and now they lost their best, second-best defensive play. I don't, I don't yeah. know. So I, I think it's definitely not as hard as it could be, but it's different because the defenses are a lot better. And then the whole, they, not just the Chiefs, but the NFL as a whole is down offensively. It's just different of like, man, having to score points against the Browns if they sneak in, the Steelers, the Ravens, the Dolphins, the way they've been playing since Jalen Ramsey got back, having to score points against those teams looks really difficult. Whereas you maybe not outscoring them sounds hard, but having to score points against them sounds relatively difficult. So it's a, it's an interesting spot. Yeah. We have a one more question, I think, later about who like literally is the biggest threat. I have a take, but I'm just teasing that. But I, I do have a take. We can though. we can we can rip that one right now. Um, okay. I don't know who asked it, but it was, it's like four questions late. I didn't write down when I, I prepped who sent what. Oh my. Um, okay. Are the Ravens a threat without Mark Andrews? Basically, who's the biggest threat in the playoffs was essentially. Uh, okay. So from Chief Goal, so Chief Golden Company. Golden Company. Yes. What do you guys think of the Ravens without Andrews? Are they a threat? Who is the biggest threat? Okay. Yeah. Let it rip. What do you I mind? think they are a threat. Absolutely. And I like Lamar Jackson. I hope the Ravens do well come playoff time. I don't think Miami scares me too much. I don't think Jacksonville scares me at all. I don't think Cleveland scares me at all. 
ironically, this team might not even make the playoffs. I think it might be Buffalo still, because on a good day, Buffalo can beat the crap out of anybody and score a bunch of points. Josh Allen is crazy, but like, how likely are they to have a good day? 10%, they're banged up, the defense isn't that good, they aren't particularly well coached, so that's a good way to say it's like the Chiefs. They could lose to a team in the first round of the playoffs, I wouldn't be too surprised, but they could come out of the AFC and go to the Super Bowl, I'd be like, they were clearly the best team, so... I think Buffalo, like, even if they don't make it right now, looking at their ceiling, they're scary, but they don't have the dog in them that they think they do. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. I think we're in lockstep here. I think to me, it's honestly the Bills are still not the biggest challenge to win the Super Bowl, but the yeah. biggest challenge directly to the Chiefs because I think the Bills offense is so good that I don't know if that matters how good the defense that lines up across from them is. Yes, I think the Chiefs defense will get a couple stops against the Bills when they play here in two weeks and if they played in the playoffs, but I don't think you're going to win this game. I don't think you're going to beat this Bills team by scoring 21 or 24 points. Mm -hmm. I just don't trust that you're going to beat them consistently that way, and I don't know if you can hold this Bills offense below that. Yeah, you can get stops. You can force turnovers, but they're still going to score. So, like, I think they present the most unique challenge. I'm not buying it on the Ravens yet. I watched that offense without Mark Andrews. Buddy, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not I'm not buying it yet. I, and I know the defense has been elite this year. I look at the players and I'm just like, yeah, they're good. Sure. But like everybody just seems to be playing a step above what they are. They seem to be just getting absolutely maximized. And that's great. Can you maximize every single player for three, two, three games in a row in the playoffs when everything matters? That's where I start down my questions. Like I'm still waiting to see on the Ravens. So it's Bills, Ravens. I have a little bit more fear, respect to the Dolphins, because I do think defensively they're getting better, and then that makes them a lot more difficult to handle. But I also go back and watch how the Chiefs and them play, and I'm like, man, yeah. the Chiefs played such a stinker offensively in the second half and still won this football game. Why would they not be able to do that again with slightly better performance? Um, yeah. So here we go. Cheddar Bob, does Legereus Sneed mean more to this defense than Chris Jones with how well Spags can generate pressure? And follow-up, Am I crazy for starting to think that the right move is to pay a legit cornerback one who is coming into the prime of his prime of his career over the aging pass rusher? I think it does make more sense to pay Legarius need what he wants, but that's contingent upon what he wants. Like, does he want 20 million a year? Does he want 17? Chris Jones has made it clear what he wants. I don't think he's worth that. He's also going to be a year older next time this process unfolds. Like, I'm not saying that Snead necessarily means more. I still think Jones is critical to the success of the Chiefs' defense, but also Lingerie Snead's been really, really freaking good this year. I think it makes more sense to pay him. So here's where things get a tiny bit um, tricky. Here are the quarterbacks that are made, that are older than Lingerious Snead that are getting paid a lot of money. And like I'm just kind of going down to the top. Jalen Ramsey is making a little over $18 million a year at 28 years old. Xavier Howard, and this contract was signed a little ways ago, if I remember correctly, is making $18 million a year at 28 years old. J.C. Jackson, one of the worst contracts in sports. It is the same age as Snead is right now, 26. He's making $16.5 million a year. The Darius Slay is down to $14 million at 31 years old. So what I, I guess where I'm going with it, holy cow, I got something for you. Legereus Snead and Charvarius Ward are the same age? Yeah, dude, okay, it's he, wild. No, yeah. No, no, no. Those were I was reading off signed ages. So that makes oh. a little more sense. Okay. Woo. 
I got that threw me off. I was like, that's I was like, right. damn. So, yeah. The only so I just read off names: Jalen Ramsey, Xavier Howard, JC JC Jackson will technically be younger than where Snead is. So those are the only two guys I just read off: Xavier Howard and Jalen Ramsey are the only guys that are signing new contracts at the top. You know, kind of the top of what you're going to call the cornerback market that are going to be Snead's age. Snead turns 27 in January. And that's the problems. Is he Jalen Ramsey from when he signed this contract? Is no. he is he Xavier Howard from when he signed his contract? Maybe, maybe that one, right? Sure. Or like, are you willing to pay, are you wanting to pay him eighteen million dollars at that age? Darius Slay was thirty one. He signed for fourteen million. If we're getting down to that age, if you're getting down to Charvarius Ward, thirteen and a half, he signed his at twenty six years old. Like, if you're getting down to that range, I'm on board. But if I don't know if you're talking eighteen twenty million dollars for a twenty seven year old corner. How yeah, that's where it gets dicey. Um, he's just he's older than you would think for a guy that is coming up on his first contract. And I think that's where this is why draft age matters, and people get annoyed annoyed talking about it. But when you're hitting your first contract negotiation at 27, and this is what we're talking about, that that's a thing. That's a thing for the team. So that said, yes, I would sign Snead to whatever money he wanted over Chris Jones to whatever money he wants. Right? Like yep. if, if I had to pick one. We're going to meet roughly at what they expect to make. I think Snead at his age is going to give you more quality play than Chris Jones at his age throughout the life of that contract. I think this defense can be better off replacing Chris Jones is impact in the run game and ability to rush the passer with multiple players with Steve Spagnuolo's blitz packages than they can overcome figuring out how do we cover Devontae Adams outside of just throw Snead at him all game. Yeah, we're going to throw some doubles on third down, but for first and second down all game, we have one guy following him around just whooping his ass. Like That's a lot harder, I think, for this defense to overcome. So I, I would lean towards Sneed's importance going forward. A lot of it is age-related. Mm-hmm. Yep, 100%. Casey from KC. When Mahomes wins the Super Bowl this year with the drop squad, where will it rank in the NFL history as best QB years ever? <laughs> okay, we'll have to see how it plays out. Um if Mahomes continues to do just what he did this past week where he plays very good, excellent mm-hmm. football where he's just not making mistakes, taking entirely what's there, lets the defense do its job, lets yards after the catch do its job, it's a great win. It's an obvious great performance. I don't think I would put that into... I think last year's Mahomes performance would be better than that. And I'm not even mm-hmm. saying that Mahomes played better last year, but what he did was more difficult that last year you know, as a whole than what he just did this past week. So like... If his play difficulty, if the difficulty of his play starts to rise and he still wins with this group, then yeah, then we can start to talk because I don't think the pass catchers are that great. But if it's just check down city and rely on the defense, then it's it's just that. It's the defense helped win the Super Bowl. And I think that has to be factored in even as much as the drop squad. Yeah, copy paste what you said. Plus, like, there have been a lot of good quarterback seasons, man. Like, Patrick Mahomes has had multiple of them that have been, like, all-time awesome quarterback seasons. One of them last year with the yardage record and all that stuff just then he had the 50 touchdown season Peyton Manning has had some good years Brady Rodgers Marino these guys have had really really good seasons some win championships some don't win a championship with this group certainly an accomplishment but like you said gotta see a little bit different way of winning it because if he wins it the way that they won on Sunday that's impressive don't get me wrong but like top five top 10 quarterback season ever probably not yeah. Uh, all right. Brian Anderson has has two here. Uh, we'll, we'll split them up. Wide receiver in the draft that we can reasonably hope to get between 22 and 32. 
that would be beneficial to the offense mm-hmm. in their rookie year. So there's like a non-developmental player, I think. Um, I don't know if that matters when you're talking about these first round guys, right? I don't think in this range we're ex- we would be really ha- harping on a developmental guy. Um, but the big thing there is I think it's a pretty big range. I think 22 yeah. is outside of the range the Chiefs felt comfortable trading up with last year. And then by the time you got to 32, we know everybody was gone. But um, Troy Franklin, I think a wide receiver out of Oregon, is a guy that I think fits in perfectly with what the Chiefs need. He adds real speed. He's a guy that I think is NFL-ready enough that you can find a role for him early on. And especially in a Chiefs offense that is slow this year. They are just, it's a fact, they are slow. Getting somebody with that speed that at least has the ability to, maybe he's not the most technical route runner right now, but his speed's real. If he's just going to go run a stop route at 10 yards, it's going to create separation just because he's fast enough to run somebody off. You can't say that about MBS or Watson or anybody else right now. So I, I think he would fit the offense really well kind of at the end of the first round range. Well, and I think you made this point recently. I've kind of cooled on the, oh my God, it's a rookie. Andy Reid will never put him on the field. Like if you're a good player, you're going to see the field. If you aren't a good player, you aren't going to see the field. Like if if the rookie comes in and legitimately flashes and has a skill set that can help, the Chiefs aren't just going to sit on their hands and say, well, he's a rookie. You know, we don't trust him to do anything because Rasheed Rice had some some big question marks coming into the year. Skill set doesn't perfectly fit all the things the Chiefs need. They're still finding ways to get him on the field. Like, it's not a cut and dry thing. So um, I like A.D. Mitchell still quite a bit, and I just call him A.D. as a nickname me and Zach Eisen. I think you've used it too. Um, yeah. I like him quite a bit, and I don't know where he ranks for you, but I think – in that range, it makes sense. It's weird Texas wide receivers. There's this receiver <laughs> class is insane, dude. Like it is yep. a good year to need a young player at the receiver position. Franklin, his speed will translate immediately. Um, I am interested to see how long Mitchell actually is like is at, at the combine and the pre-draft process. I don't think that I'm worried about his frame at all. There have been people with weird concerns about that. Um, I don't know. I, I still like rough. him, and I think in that range. Rough year to have sense. concerns about wide receivers' frames if you look yeah. at the rookies in the NFL yeah. right now. Exactly. Um, and I'm a tad lower on Mitchell, I think, than you or our you know, pal Zach Eisen is, but like I get it. I get why people like him. I, I think he would probably, for me, fall into a little bit more developmental as I think there's okay. some stuff that he needs, he'll need time with. Um, uh, but like I get it. I get the enticing skill set. Um, I didn't want to say, um, you've mentioned the Andy Reid rookie wide receiver. There's an article on KCSN from Joseph Hefner back in April. It's called Andy Reid's Rookie Wide Receivers, and you can kind of see all all that information there. But essentially what it boils down to is, hey, guess what? If you're good, you kind of played as a rookie. Deshaun Jackson, Jeremy Macklin, yeah. Tyreek Hill, Reggie Brown, all played as rookies. And now Tyreek Hill, I think, ultimately was under like a 50%. He was like a 47% snap count, but like still. That's a fifth round player who was a running back slash returner slash offensive weapon that played almost half the snaps for the Chiefs. Like if you were a good receiver, Andy Reid's not not playing you. If you look at the guys that haven't played, Chris Conley, Nah Brown, Todd Pinkston, the one exception, Riley Cooper, Jason Avant, Billy McMullen, like the guys that don't play as rookies just aren't good. It's not that Andy Reid's holding them out. They're just simply not good. So if it's a good player, they will play them. Um, real quick, I mentioned Darnell Mooney earlier. Is there another wide receiver that could be an available free agent that you would realistically hope the Chiefs would sign? Um, once that makes sense, like the Mike Evans thing obviously makes uh, a ton of sense. Even as an older guy, um, so I think Curtis Samuel's out there. Calvin Ridley, I believe, is on a one-year deal. 
you get into the Gabe Davises, the Hollywood Browns. Josh Reynolds is a guy that has been a Chiefs legend for like three years in a row. Um, but I think Evans is at the top, and that's more of a high-end, unrealistic, I would say, target. But if it yeah. is a Veach overcorrection, he's going to throw bags at people, whether they completely deserve it or not. And Evans, if he hits the market and does test it, is going to be one of those guys. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I, Evans makes a lot of sense. If they were truly interested in Nuke because he was a veteran that understands football, Mike Evans makes a ton of sense on a one- or two-year deal. Problem is, Mike Evans is yet again, I'm pretty sure, tracking for a 1,000-yard season because that's yeah. what Mike Evans does in the NFL. So you're not going to be paying him $14 million or whatever. You're going to be probably ponying up $20 million for a guy. But, I mean, again, Mike Evans has never... Oh, yeah, he's 150 yards away from his, um, let me count, 11th, 10th, he's insane. 10th straight 1,000-yard season. Like, that's just absolutely bananas. Like, that yeah. is absolutely You, you look bananas. at the, like, the... I think it's pro football reference is the site yeah. they have like the Hall of Fame monitor. He doesn't have the accolades, but like he's there with the stats already. You're like, that dude could have the numbers today to go into the Hall of Fame. Like he is going to keep adding on to that crap. It, it's he's ridiculous. The dude's 30 years old playing with Baker Mayfield, and he is has 850 yards and nine touchdowns with five games, six games remaining. It's Woo. insane. Yeah, you're gonna pay him a lot of money, but he would make sense. Um yeah. Let's see. Let's let's move this one on here from Gooby35. How much better would Rasheed Rice be with a true number one on the field at the same time? Oh, buddy. Let me tell you, if you had an actual number one wide receiver out there that not only stopped teams from just getting to full, freely double team Travis Kelsey, mm-hmm. like just freely, no consequence, double Travis Kelsey, but also like held safeties responsible pulled attention away from Kelsey, made other linebackers, other safeties, backside defenders, other zone defenders, now more than just two people. Like right now, two people can just stare at Travis Kelsey the entire play, and everybody else can just do their own thing. If you take that away, if you make everybody have to watch just all the players because you can't focus on just one guy, Rasheed Rice would would go nuts. You look at how the Chiefs use him, all they're doing is saying, hey, we're going to run him into space because teams are paying too much attention to Kelsey. Imagine if you had somebody else out there that just took away a little bit more attention and Rasheed Rice's entire game was just going to find open space to use his athleticism. He would immediately become better. Look at how much better Debo Samuel got once Brandon Ayuk kind of became a thing. And now I know Debo's stats like this year are down a little bit fighting through injuries, but like there was a clear delineation of, oh, Ayuk's the number one target now. Debo can just do his own thing and it's working a lot better for us. You'd have the same thing. I it would help Rasheed Rice a ton for him not to be the number one wide receiver on a team, and you know hopefully the Chiefs get there next year. Yeah, I think you and I kind of shared, and concern isn't necessarily the right word. Just question marks about can Rasheed Rice evolve into a true number one that does everything? It's kind of unfair to expect that from a second round pick that had some concerns about can he do everything coming into the pre-draft process? Like had a very specific skill set. The Chiefs are able to maximize that by, again, getting him into open space, running those drive concepts, getting him, you know, getting him where he can get yak and be where he does best. If he had a guy that commanded actual respect and actual attention from a defense that's not a tight end, um, Travis Kelsey, he'd be pretty damn good. And he's already going to end up with, you know, 800, 850, whatever yards as a rookie as a second round pick in an Andy Reid offense. Um, that would help him quite a bit. I I I am with you. Um, B Higgs Prince Felix underscore Prince Felix. Uh, if you had to pick a couple things 
that are making the Chiefs secondary so effective, what would they be? So yeah, what what do you why do you think the Chiefs secondary has been so effective this year, Jordy? Coaching and really at the cornerback position, they've always been able to get away with these like low investments and getting Bashad Breeland on a cheap contract and oh, let's get this guy in the fourth or seventh round or whatever. Coaching means a lot. I think Dave Merritt is excellent at what he does. Every time he speaks at the podium, I listen to it several times. I kind of jot down little things that stand out. I think he does a really good job. Um, I also think really continuity from last year and having a lot of the same guys with another year in the system, a more defined role, and then the combination of being aggressive and not worrying about the consequences. Like Spags with Snead is the most penalized defensive back in football, second most penalized player. They don't give a shit. They're like, it's the cost of business. It's okay. I think all those things, like the Chiefs are just playing free in the secondary. They have the right personnel. They have great coaching. They have good position coaching. It's like a a perfect storm of kind of attributes there. Yeah, uh, I I think they've kind of figured out how all the pieces fit. I think being able to throw Snead at an opponent's number or opposing team's number one wide receiver and then only have to really double him in certain situations and against certain matchups, I think has been huge. I think Trip McDuffie being able to take over the slot spot from Legereus Snead has been huge. Like the ability to use him as a force defender, a blitzer, or a coverage player in man or zone has been significant. Now the Chiefs all of a sudden have two chess type pieces with Legereus Steen, yep. even though they're locking him up into one thing. Like he has one goal, he has one mission. But the fact that they have two players that they can kind of use like that has been big. And a lot of that goes back to coaching, to scouting. But it's just me saying personnel, right? The personnel is a big thing. Dave Merritt and Steve Spagnuolo have done an excellent job with these guys. They constantly change the picture for opposing teams. They're going to show you one look pre-snap. They're going to rotate out of it. And that's one play. The next time they're going to show you that same look and they're going to rotate out of it, but it's going to look entirely different. And then they might do it a third time and maybe it looks like this one. Maybe it looks like another. Or maybe it's an entirely different play. Like They just are constantly changing the picture. And again, that's back to coaching. All the guys are roughly on the same page for the most part and they're able to execute it. So it's a lot of coaching. I think they got the personnel that works for them too. Um, I will say, I think there's some technique stuff of them um, ignoring how to play the football that goes into the I'm taking McDuffie. away. Not even just him. It's I, I think it's, it's been a consistent problem for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's more than even Trent McDuffie. I think he kind of knows I'm short and stubby darn. Like I can't do it. So I'm just reducing space, but I think they coach that more so. And I yeah. think that can lead to a lot of good, which it has. I think it occasionally will lead to plays where like, like man, if he just turned his head around here or man, yeah. if when, Watson turns his head around. He doesn't click his feet together and his timing's better. He picks this ball off. But you live you live with those because for the most part, it works. Like I just think how they teach technique of the quarterback position is doing a good job of squeezing passing lanes down, even though it's not leading to turnovers. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about Snead extension. Okay. Um, this is a long question, so we're going to hope it's a good one. I haven't read it out yet. From Nick Deal. Nothing is ever a sure thing, but given the case he can save 12 mil against the cap by cutting him, yes, this upcoming offseason and most of it expected to be gone. How would, okay, do you think that Brett Veach will be aggressive attacking the wide receiver room? And we already answered the second part of that of what we think it looks like. So how aggressive do you think Brett Veach will be about fixing the wide receiver? Whether it is fair or not, I think it depends on how the postseason goes. If they get embarrassed in the first round or the divisional round or the AFC championship, whatever, and it's because the wide receivers can't get open and Mahomes has one of those. If there's a moment in the game 
where the camera crew of whatever broadcast cuts to Mahomes and you can see that look in his eyes of like, oh my God, this effing sucks. That is going to lead to a classic Brett Veach overcorrection. Now, if the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, I'm a little bit, I think they still add, but I would be a yeah. little bit worried about, oh, well, hey, we did it last year with Zuzu. Oh, hey, we did it with Sky Moore, who didn't progress at all, and Kadarius Tony, who regressed, and MVS that regressed. Like, they're still going to make the moves they need to make, but I think it would be less aggressive. Now, the middle ground is maybe they get to the conference championship. They lose a close game. They shoot themselves in the foot. I think you add one impact piece. They could add two, like we said earlier, a draft pick and a big-time free agent or a notable one. I think they do one or the other. Um, The low end would be, hey, we won. Let's just kind of skate by again. But I really don't think they end up doing that. So Nick comp this to like just saying like if we're put we're putting the 2021 offensive line overhaul as like a 10 right which is that was a 10 right yeah yeah where do we think this falls and like I, I'm with you it's kind of situation dependent um one we talked about earlier it's a hard you can't replace four of the wide receivers just mm-hmm. from a financial standpoint you can't replace like all of these guys like they did on the offensive line they're not gonna have four openings or five openings in one year at the wide receiver spot. So I don't know if they can be overly aggressive. I would liken this more to the 2018 season. The Chiefs lost in the mm-hmm. page to the Patriots in the playoffs. And or I guess, yeah, no, it's 2018. They lose to the Patriots in the playoffs because of kind of essentially what the Patriots can do to slow down one wide receiver. What do the Chiefs do? What does Brett Veach do? He goes out and he hits the market hard for Sammy Watkins. He pays Sammy Watkins a big money to say like, hey, we need somebody else to come in here and do this. We need somebody else to help alleviate this pressure. And whether you think that that move worked out or not, they felt that they needed another guy, so they went out and paid for it. I think there's a difference now that you're not dealing with a young Mahomes who's trying to learn. He should be the guy pulling other guys along. He maybe doesn't need as much help, but you also don't have a Tyree Kills. So like, I just think there will be a certain level of aggression. It's just a matter of, to me, is do they think they need a vet? Do they need to go pay Mike Evans $22 million a year? Or do they think a round one wide receiver can do that? Or do they think, you know, it's just a talent thing that they can get in the building? That's where I'm mostly intrigued. And I think that could be dependent on how the playoffs go. If they think they need somebody that's ready to hit the ground at a hundred percent right away, or if they can spend four or five weeks getting a super talented guy up the pace. Yep. Frank, the tank. Okay. We're almost 20 games into the NBA season. Whose team, who's the team you must watch if you see that they are on TV. All right, let me start this first. Talk to me about this in the playoff time. I don't watch NBA regular season basketball. Um, Jordy does, so I'll let him answer. I do have an answer, too, when you're done, but I, I don't watch much regular season basketball. I just kind of catch up with clips and stuff that go around. Um, but, yeah, you can tell me who you have to watch when they're on right now. I've got a top four. I have a Mount Rushmore of teams I have to watch. I'll start in reverse order. I think number four, Philadelphia. Um, what Nick Nurse has done and Maxi balling out. I like that a lot. Yeah. Number three, Dallas. The Luka-Kyrie combo has been cooking. And, like, Luka's just must-watch television anyway. Um, Number two is OKC because Matt Easley's favorite player, Chet Holmgren, has legitimately been an awesome player. Better than I even thought he would be, which is hard to do. You want to dig in on OKC right now, huh, buddy? There's one reason why you shouldn't watch (laughs) OKC or follow them or go to a game, which I'm doing next month. Like, it's not great. But number one... Give me Anthony Edwards, man. Give me the Minnesota and Wolves. He rules, dude. He he's so awesome. He is a superstar player. He's going to lead them to playoff wins. They're legitimately good. If they didn't have Rudy Gobert, 
and they swapped out Cat for like another good scoring big, I would absolutely love them. Right now, I just really, really like them because Ant does a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah, that was yeah, that was my answer too. Um, it's the Timberwolves right now because of Anthony Edwards. Uh, I think I talked about this with Jordan. I don't think he fully agrees, but this is more like a playoff take. I think Devin Booker has done a lot of maturing as a basketball player over the years, and he does a lot more than just score now. Like he last year in the playoffs, he was he was a good defender. He was a guy that was kind of like controlling what the Suns did. Like I just he took that that maturation step on the on the court. I think Anthony Edwards is kind of getting to that point too, right? And I just think this is a guy that is like understanding he's talented, but also the work and the other stuff that has to go into it. So that's fun to watch. And then he's also still Ant doing the silly Ant stuff, which is always fun. And then the extra fun is you get to sit there and hate watch Cat at the same time. Like <laughs> I, I don't hate Gobert as much as Jordy does. Um, but I, I understand he what he is. I understand what he, yes, that's true. I understand his limitations as a player and like why it's there, but I also understand like, hey, sometimes he makes some fun plays too. I, I can hate watch Cat. I don't like watching Cat. It's not fun to me, but I can hate watch it and have fun with everything else. Like it's the Timberwolves. Um, I really wish they could move Cat on for another piece that would make more sense. Ants 22, bro. Like that is insane. And he's made the leap this year. Like Booker has... Booker's a good playmaker now. Booker's a at worst an average defender, which still for a guy that's an elite scorer says a lot. Um, Booker's a top ten player. I, I know I hate on him a lot, but he's really good. Ant though, if he like wins a playoff series and balls out, he's going to be banging down the door like he's in that SGA tier. So Book, yeah, like he is. He's really freaking good. Really good. Uh-huh. Oh, nope, I'm with you. I can't. I I hope the Wolves make the playoffs so I actually get to like really sit down and dig in because like again. Yeah. I'm just watching highlights right now or like little snippets and like it, you know, they're, they're fun. I need them to make the playoffs beyond the play in games. So like I can really sit down and, and enjoy it. Um, once the, like, you know, NFL season slows down. Craziest thing I've seen on the farm this year that I can apply as a metaphor for this year's version of the chiefs. Okay. Can you have an animal like get stuck in the fence or something. I did have a sheep get wrapped up in a fence. Yes. I, I got a better one. Um, I have a garage, a separate garage. It's like in the back of my property. And that's like where my my gym and stuff is. We keep all the animal feed in there and stuff. So like I, the cats go in there. Like we have a bunch of barn cats and they go in there to eat. The dogs come in there to eat, but there's a cat door. So the cats can get in and out because they don't get to come in the house. The goats jump like the mini fence that I put around the walkway to keep them out of there because that's already annoying enough. And they stick their head in my cat door. They just shove their head in there. And no matter how many times I wing something at their head to get it out, because they break the cat door, they break it off and the chickens get in there and that's chaos, right? So I try to keep them out. I have to throw stuff at their head when I'm not right there, like to get them to knock it out. Like they just, they won't stop. They are just so stubborn. They won't stop. But guess what? They haven't caught a single thing I've thrown and they keep doing it. Just like the Chiefs keep running bad wide receivers out there who can't catch the ball. So Chiefs coaching staff and goats, handshake. Neither one of you have learned from your mistakes about not being able to catch stuff and keeping your nose where it doesn't belong. Um, wow. That was rant level kind of Oh, emotion it annoys me so much. I I literally, we have like a concrete slab outside the garage, like actual opening door, not the garage door, mm-hmm. the opening door. And I built a fence around it so to keep the goats from doing that. Because again, they've broken multiple cat doors and they just jumped the fence. And like, I could get a taller fence, but like, I don't want to put a six foot fence around there and just make it look silly yep. as hell. They jump it, they break it, they push through the gate. Like, they are just, they break everything to get there. And then they poop everywhere. And then I have to step around poop or sweep it off the concrete. So I don't try. It's a disaster. 
it is, I have not figured out an answer to this yet. And within like, I guess I just need to put a bigger fence up there and quit being lazy. But hmm. um, last question right here. Um, that's probably the better one to end on. That's okay. Uh, Nuja asks, do, do you think that they'll finally start using Sky in, the, in a backfield role? Seems like he's at his best when he's pretending to be a receiving running back. No, but I don't know what Sky Moore... I'm not trying to say, like, he's the what-does-he-even-do meme, but, like, they have gadget guys already. And granted, one of them is on IR and one of them has a hip injury. They also have guys that they need to be, or needed, to be putting in the slot to protect them a little bit. That was a young player that was also a second-round pick. Now that guy is becoming someone you can put on the outside. You know, it's been close to like a 50-50 split. It's not a concern anymore. Sky Moore is not going to be... If you put him in pre-stop motion, you do orbit motion stuff, you get him on screens, you get him in space, let him make plays. But there was that play Sunday, and it might have been our group chat, where you said like he ran straight into the the defender instead of like trying to make something shake. You're like, dude, what's going on here? So yes and no. Yes, they're going to get him fun stuff that can get him in space that's not actual wide receiver stuff, but no, that wouldn't be directly a receiving running back, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. Um, it, it, the concept makes sense. He played running back in high school before – a quarterback and running back um, in high school before going to Western Michigan and moving to a wide receiver. I think you see some of the yak ability, the way he runs after the catch. It's very running back-esque, and he's trying to get downhill quickly. He's not trying to make guys necessarily miss. He's trying to get downhill. The problem is his vision out on screens or on end of rounds is terrible. He does yeah. a really bad job of setting up his guys for blocks. He does a really bad job of seeing like when he's supposed to cut not even, I'm not even talking about like a cutback lane. I'm just talking about cutting off the backside of a wide receiver's hip on a block. Like, I don't think his vision's there. I used to ask for the Chiefs all the time to use McCole Hardman as an actual running back, as a receiving running back, because he had good vision. He, when he had the ball in his hands, he knew how to set stuff up. Um, I think Sky Moore looks a little bit more dense, right? So like he could probably handle the contact a little better than McCole could. It's so like, I get why people go there and I'm not, I, I don't hate the idea. It's just, I need a whole offseason of him trying to learn how to read a field of the ball because he mm -hmm. looks like a guy that just, this is where I'm supposed to go. If there's a glimpse of space, I'm going to run full speed at it. Now, this is coming after a week where he probably had his best, you know, yak performance where he does make a guy miss. He does, he looked good doing so. And I'm not saying he can't. It's just the vision leaves a lot to be desired. You watch Rasheed Rice, you watch McCole Hardman, Kadarius Tony, these guys run in the open field. They kind of maximize the blocks that are out there the majority of the time. Sky Moore just kind of gets it and goes. And if he gets, you know, if there's a defender there, the defender's there. If there's not, okay, cool. And that that would cause me concern to moving him to a true running back spot. But we talked about it. He's on the team next year one way or the other unless they find a trade for him. They do. They might need some kind of change. That That's an option. I, I think that's, that's out there. It's just I don't know how confident I would be in it. That was fun. All right. Yeah, that was. That was good. We wrapped it up. We got a lot of questions in. I wanted to make sure we got everybody's in there. We had some fun ones. We had some Chiefs ones. So I appreciate you, Jordan, for coming in here with me. I appreciate all of you guys for sending in your questions. You know, make sure that you come check in tonight that, you know, we got all the all the shows going up on YouTube. Check out the Substack. We got Chiefs Sunday Night Football coming up this week. So we got five things, all, all the fun shows leading up to it. We appreciate you guys and we will catch you all later.